0: This Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Hughes Network Systems, delivering innovation for civilian and military connectivity. It is time to expect more from your network. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is
1: Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Federal employees have a special open season for flexible spending accounts. The Office of Personnel Management says the open enrollment will cover traditional FSAs, limited expense FSAs, and dependent care FSAs. GovExec reports the open season runs through June 30th. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin may require COVID vaccines for military personnel. The acting secretary of the Navy, Thomas Harker, says the services would wait until the Food and Drug Administration issues non-emergency approvals for the shots. Federal News Network reports only half of Marines are fully vaccinated. Congress should give the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency long-term support, according to its acting leader. Brandon Wales says Congress should support the creation of a cybersecurity recovery fund, too. FedScoop reports Wales' listed cyber preparedness grants as another funding need. Federal agencies can finally rehire employees at higher grades than they held when they left government. A final rule is out from OPM to detail the processes agencies can follow. Jeff Pon is national co-chair of the Training and Development Optimization Council. He's former director of OPM. Jeff, it's great to see you again. This is big news. This is p- something that people in government have been asking for for a long time. How did we get here and what difference will this make for agencies, Jeff?
2: Thanks, Francis. First, uh, thank you for having me again. I think this is really a great move. Uh, when I was there, I always advocated for people coming back to the government with more experience and getting hired at a higher grade. It just makes sense. So if you, know, if you think about the millennials, they're just uh, having jobs about 2.3 to 2.5 years and going from job to job. And that's not just in the government, but it goes to private sector as well. Why can't we count the experiences that people gain outside of the government and coming back and enriching the government with all those different types of experiences? In many different occupations, especially IT, it's critical to have that type of experience in high tech companies, uh, DevOps, big data, different types of experiences that you may not get a chance to do in the government. And having that experience and coming back as a rehired, you know, civil service person is such great news. Finally, we can say yes. Pursuant to civil service principles,
1: Jeff, how can a manager or an agency or the government as a whole uh, objectively evaluate the qualifications and the experiences somebody got in the time that they were out of government?
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair question. Uh, We still have the GS system, and the GS system uh, ranks and rates uh, different people's uh, knowledge, skills, and abilities and experiences. That's what the Career Mosaic was all about uh, when we created the GS system. So there's a way of ranking and rating those things, um, but not having a way to count experience uh, from the time that you've left government is Quite unfair to people that are getting different types of experiences throughout their whole entire career. We need a much more mobile and agile type of workforce that comes in and out of government, and we need to get rid of the antiquated uh, systems that say you must, uh, you know, be in your agency, be in your job for the next 20 something years, then you get the great benefits and retirement and the accumulated TSP that you have. You should. Earn it as you go, just like the rest of the world.
1: Um, Nicole Grisco in Federal News Network, uh, writing about some of the comments about the draft, on the draft rule, wrote this. Some agencies and unions, have, and unions have raised concerns saying this rule may be abused and potentially erode the bargaining power of staff. How do you propose that uh, OPM, uh, individual agencies, and individual human capital offices uh, avoid getting into that situation?
2: Uh, I think that argument is, is um, tough to argue because if you take a look at what we're trying to do, we're trying to make sure that it's fair for everybody, including the people that are in government right now and outside of government that are coming back in as re- reemployed people in the government. I think the, the critical factor that you have to ask yourself is making sure that the process is market-based and much more sensitive to current dynamics that are inside and outside of government. So outside of government, we have different types of pay scales that we know about, and we should be comparing that to our GS system and other types of uh, systems that we have. So it's much more commensurate, it's much more equitable, and it's it's very much in par- uh, in parity uh, with the private sector type jobs. Uh, the second thing is that agencies amongst themselves sometimes have the has and have nots. So if you're like, for instance, I'll pick on an agency at SBA, uh, they're looking for a cybersecurity professional and uh, they, they're they trying to hire them, but they just don't have the money to and budget to actually do the recruitment bonus and certain things like that and activate the critical pay in comparison to, like, a DHS that's hiring people in bulk, so there's some disparity between agencies, and and you know I think uh, we need to think about having cadres of IT professionals that work across different agencies for for emergency reasons, for reactive reasons, um, and then the people that actually do the um, maintenance and operations type things. So it's kind of like the army when you go to uh, have a Uh, supply sergeant. You're assigned to that uh, supply sergeant. You don't get to pick. So maybe that's where the government needs to be. We need to hire uh, IT people in bulk in certain aspects and train them up as a class and then deploy them across the government where the greatest needs are to make it much more equitable.
1: When you talk about that cyber hiring, Jeff, you get me into the discussion that you know I love to have, which Mm -hmm. is How do we do some mass revamping of the hiring and retention system across government? We have to do that sometime, you and I, Jeff. What would you watch as this rule starts to roll out, as organizations start to implement it across government?
2: So critical hiring type of criteria, uh, it's it's not just about pay, right? It's, It's about the whole entire package. It's making sure we can onboard people very quickly, recruit them get them into uh, places that they want to work. Um, it's it's a two-way street. It's not just about the agency's needs, it's about the needs of the people that are coming into the government. Where do they want to work? How do they want to work? Who do they want to work for? Who, you know, what's the team look like? Some of those dynamics we really don't talk about as a government, we hire on the one-off type basis. But if you think about the people that are coming in, they are looking for the experiences. Together as a team with other people that are common and like professionals uh, in the same caliber as themselves. So, those types of things I'm looking for in the criteria for critical hiring and critical pay so that agencies can actually develop the experience for the employees versus just, you know, what's the GS scale say for and how much and what's the experience. It's a two way street. We need to make sure that we're much more appealing to all workers so that the government can be much more effective, efficient, streamlined, and a place to work that everybody wants to work at.
1: Jeff Pond, thanks very much as always. Great to have you on.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Francis. Good to be here.
1: Coming next, doubling small business contracts straight ahead on Government Matters, the White House's equity plan for vendors. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Welcome back. The Biden administration will aim for doubling the contracts for small and disadvantaged businesses. A fact sheet from the White House says only about 10 percent of federal contracts go to small disadvantaged businesses. Liza Craig is counsel at Reed Smith Global Regulatory Enforcement Group. Liza, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. What's your takeaway from the fact sheet, what companies will have to do, and what agencies should pay attention to as they're starting to look to award these contracts?
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, really, there's there's quite a bit here to unpack. You know, um, that you know this this pronouncement from the Biden administration uh, really came on the centennial of the Tulsa Tulsa race massacre, and really this is all about narrowing that racial wealth gap and reinvesting in these underserved and marginalized communities. Uh, agencies are absolutely going to have to. Redouble their effort, focus on coordination so that they can roll out these programs that the Biden administration really wants to see that's going to pour this money into these communities. And contractors, businesses that want to take advantage, they're going to have to stay tuned as these programs get up and running so that they know how to apply, how to get access to this money, and really how to take advantage of what's coming down the pike. Do you it's expect? Time.
1: Oh, excuse me. Do you expect that agencies will have to? change the way that they evaluate companies? um, And and will companies have to change the way that they uh, try to uh, demonstrate that they qualify for these contracts?
3: Yeah, no, I don't expect changes in that particular area. I mean, really, I think what President Biden is trying to do is say we're putting more money and more focus on getting companies that already qualify and that already are characterized as small, as marginalized, as from these disadvantaged communities. They they really want to get them access. The Small Business Administration, as well as other organizations, really have pretty solid criteria set forth with what characterizes a business and allows it to qualify as small or underrepresented. So those we don't expect those um, parameters to really change. This is really about infusing that capital and getting those businesses already designated as such access to
1: that money. Uh, I read this from the fact sheet. Uh, Agencies will assess every available tool to lower barriers to entry and increase opportunities for small businesses and traditionally underserved entrepreneurs to compete for federal contracts. What I, if I read between the lines, and please correct me if I'm wrong, counselor, what I don't see is any uh, impetus on any agencies to try to create new things. They're just supposed to evaluate what they already have and maximize what they already have. Am I reading that right?
3: I think you're right, but I think that you know this is this is a space where we may anticipate some sort of creativity. So absolutely, I think that the Biden administration is really calling upon agencies to take a look at their goaling programs, take a look at their community outreach programs, take a look at the requirements generators within their organizations. And to the extent that they uh, perhaps see opportunities for um, contracts and opportunities to be set aside for small businesses, for disadvantaged businesses, make sure they're taking advantage of all of those opportunities. However, if during this analysis and this evaluation uh, new ideas um, come come to the surface, innovation spurs new ways to open opportunities to these businesses, I certainly think the administration would be open to that and would encourage that.
1: As I read this fact sheet, it struck me that what I saw explicitly applied to prime contractors. Is there something maybe implicit here on primes that are not Um, uh, disadvantaged businesses that are not small businesses to be more aggressive in uh, reaching out to those companies potentially as subs?
3: Yeah, well, absolutely. So we we are talking about prime contracts here. And of course, that's the focus of, of, of this push with the fact sheet and what President Biden is doing. But remember that already many federal prime contracts contain small business requirements contain small business subcontracting plans that actually encourage businesses, large prime contract businesses, um, to engage with small disadvantaged and minority owned uh, entities uh, for everything from preference points during the solicitation process and also to help agencies meet their goal and requirements during contract performance. So absolutely prime businesses are going to continue to be incentivized to work with small businesses going forward. Forward.
1: Would you expect, maybe, Liza, to see something along the lines of this fact sheet that pertains to primes and the way they work with subs at some point in the future?
3: Uh, I think it's possible. I think it's possible when we get, get get a little bit further down the line. But as you know, the, the federal government has privity with its primes and usually takes a step back and allows its primes to deal directly with its subs as they so choose. So while I, I think that the federal government can direct and encourage things at the prime contract level, they really are going to um, stand back and allow the process to continue to work, but, but we should certainly expect to see uh, th- this excitement about engaging on this level flow all the way down through the supply chain.
1: What would you watch as implementation of this uh, order moves throughout the agencies and moves throughout the industrial base?
3: Yeah, I think that we need to continue to watch for um, policy. We need to continue to watch for um, uh, statements coming out of organizations like the Small Business Administration. You know, they really are the federal administration that is tasked with uh, taking on um, challenges to really support small businesses of all sorts. So we should continue to watch for uh, statements from that agency about programs that are coming online about reinvigorization of programs that already exist. and, and folks that are um, in line to receive these awards and take advantage of these uh, contracts really need to stay plugged in so they can know where these opportunities are and make sure that they're in the best position to take advantage of them.
1: Liza Craig, thanks very much. It's great to have you on the program.
3: It's a pleasure. thank you.
1: You can find a link to the fact sheet at govmatters.tv/resources up next fighting the future fight with GPS. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the options on the table and in the air for Homeland Security. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, govmatters.tv. Be right back. military services say they'll rely on global positioning system technology to fight the future fight but the department may be leaving better technology that's less fragile on the table richard mason is a senior engineer at the rand corporation he's lead author of analyzing a more resilient national positioning navigation and timing capability richard welcome thanks for coming on the program what's what's the core of what you looked at in doing this study so this this
0: study was uh in support of the uh, department of homeland security so this was not for dod it was explicitly not a military study so that's a different so the military has their own need for a backup plans the event of gps disruption but but this project was about does the civilian world need a backup uh, should there be a, a um, backup system for uh, uh all the rest of us uh in the in the event of a uh, a gps outage and so we were um, uh, in support of DHS, we were we're looking at this problem, and there's a there's a very long history of this. Uh, I was going through the archives and uh, Rand did a study looking at backups to GPS in I think 1974 or 1975, about three years before the first GPS satellite was launched. So um, people have been worried about this for a long time, and there's a um, if there's a way in which this study was. A bit different from all the ones that preceded it. We tried to take a little bit more level-headed uh, look at the risks, because there's a um, there's this idea that because GPS is used in everything, which it is, uh, that sort of civilization is hanging by a thread. And if you if the GPS signal is jammed, then um, everything will grind to a halt. And that's a little bit exaggerated, because there because we do have existing backups. Airplanes have other navigational systems. Financial firms do have atomic clocks, also to keep time, and so and so. Uh, it, it's not we're not we're not quite as fragile as as all that. And if and if we look at um, real world cases, so North Korea has jammed GPS in South Korea on a number of occasions. Uh, Russia has jammed GPS in Norway, and these things, you know, it causes disruption. There's a cost to that, but it didn't cause the South Korean economy to. Tumble into the sea, or and you know it was it was uh, um, uh, society reacted and uh, and 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 got you know fought through, got by. So uh, uh, so in ter- so so backup systems exist, and we're continuing to develop uh, uh, new uh, uh, backup systems as five ne- G uh, uh, cell networks roll out, as the cell networks get better and better. That uh, um, that will be one kind of um, uh, a backup system for individual users uh, with with smartphones, um, and I think um, so. I think the the, you know, the uh, those kinds of efforts uh, efforts which uh, they they have another purpose. They accomplish something else. They make uh, uh, the the overall system better. And by the way, uh, they also provide resilience uh, in case there uh, there is a GPS outage. That's that's a much better idea than um, building a new national system for the sole purpose of, uh, of being a, replace, a backup or replacement for GPS uh, in the event of an outage, which, you know, really are not, is not that likely. It's not, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's quite likely that there'll be a GPS outage in a, it's easy to jam GPS in a small area for a short time. But it's really not very likely that we would lo- you'd lose GPS over a large area for a long
4: time.
1: It sounds like you've applied the basic principles of a risk management framework to all of the possibilities that ex- exist here. I- am I on the right track there richard? That's our- certainly what we try to do yes and what did we- what did you learn about the risk uh, assessment that organizations like DHS are doing regarding GPS? Are there ways that they're thinking about it that maybe they could think about it differently? Um, did you find a, a different risk assessment of the various components something like that?
0: Yeah, I mean I think the uh, uh, what i I see as a point that we would like to stress is just that you know people aren't really helpless uh, it's really it you know when when there's a if if there's a Partial breakdown in the system, in this case because GPS. You know, we assume the GPS signal is lost for a time. Um, you know, it's not the case that I can't get to work because the G. You know, I don't. I forgot the way. The GPS. In my car isn't working. That that's not true. Uh, yeah. So so the so in doing the risk assessment, you know that it you get a you, you, we should you know should not assume that. Something will go wrong, and everybody will sort of stand around helplessly and make you know no efforts to react or fix the problem that's that's not real so we ha- we have to in in the risk assessment we have to account for uh the the natural resilience of 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 people and organizations
1: We have less than a minute left Richard. Is there other technology on the horizon that organizations and government should be thinking about or working toward
0: yeah i mean I, I mean it's no no this is this will be no surprise to anybody but i think you know as uh, as smartphones continue to get better and better we'll see we'll see that lo- we'll see more and more location technology built into those and that's something that's going to happen uh, so i you know i do think that will be a uh, um, a development in you know, addition to the to the navigation ecosystem
1: richard mason thank you very much for joining me today i appreciate your time thank you for having me you can find a link to that work at govmatters.tv resources. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, too. You get a preview and a recap of every show when you sign up for our daily newsletters. You just enter your email in the red box on the website. I'm back in two minutes.
0: Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by James Mahoney and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrice Haddon. Our director of content is Alan Holmes. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.
4: offer various kinds of sd wan solutions there are a number of them out there they need to not just offer their direct example examples of uh, proprietary services but there are multiple platforms agencies should really meet with the primes and say here's what i want here's what i want to, here's where i want to go over the next 10 to 15 years
1: Time is of the essence, it strikes me, Tony, because there's a countdown clock going here for agencies to get these contracts awarded. Um, if you're just starting this process at the beginning, first of all, shame on you, I guess. But um, secondly, what's the role of the vendor to help uh, uh, an agency move the ball?
4: Well, I think, I think the idea here is to, if you haven't gotten started yet, make sure you're asking the right questions of industry. That you're asking for the right kind of services. If you're still s- stuck on an RFP or a format that asks for older technology, there are and and there are unfortunately, Francis, a number of RFPs and fair opportunities out there that have asked for the old stuff. And it's it's like the the to to some extent, I'm 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 advocating for timeline be damned. You ought to.